We're back! We're back! It's a distraction. I'm Drew. That's Roth. And it's the all-Josh Dobbs episode of The Distraction, Roth. You excited? Huh? I'm huh? extremely excited to talk about Josh Dobbs. Where are his eyebrows? We're going to get to the bottom of it this this episode. You better be careful. You better be careful making fun of that. Will Smith will come over and slap their shit out of you. If you- so, I'm very happy that you got to have the experience that, I guess it's now happened to... Uh, two different fan bases, two of the unluckier fan bases in the sports, where you basically had the opportunity to talk yourself into Josh Dobbs, even though you know that that's not really a good idea. Uh, he- I, I don't know about the bad idea part, Roth. I watched J.T. O'Sullivan's breakdown of the man, and let me tell you, there was a lot of, there was a lot of smiling, there was a lot of love it, love it, this, and there was a lot of dot, seed, terms of that nature. It was very... Wow. Very encouraging. I it was it. extremely good for a guy who did not seem to know any of his team's plays or signals going into the game. Like that part of it is pretty remarkable. Did, I, I'm assuming that I don't know that uh, all of our listeners know what happened in the Vikings game. Do you want to tell them about the Josh Dobbs game real quick? Yeah, I, I will. I was actually I was sort of joking. I was I was assuming. We no, I, I think we should talk a little bit about Josh Dobbs. I thought I thought it was it was fascinating to me because it happened. Okay, so the Vikings played. The Atlanta Falcons, they had won three games in a row. Uh, They had lost Kirk Cousins uh, to a torn Achilles at the end of their third straight win. That was against the Green Bay Packers in Lambeau. And Kirk's backup, Nick Mullins, was still on IR. So the only quarterback they had rostered was fifth-round draft pick Jaron Hall, who was a rookie and, you know, has all the attendant problems that a fifth-round pick might have with him. So last week on Tuesday— the Vikings GM, uh, Quasi Adolfo Mensa, he traded a sixth-round pick to the Arizona Cardinals in exchange for a seventh-round pick and quarterback Josh Dobbs, who had started the first half of the season for the Cardinals, but was benched for another fifth-round rookie in Clayton Toon uh, because they anticipate Kyler Murray coming back and starting this week. So the Cardinals, who are in prime position to draft number one and get Caleb Williams, were like, you know what? Let's start the dickhead instead, and let's get a few empty wins. And I also feel like they were they were sort of like this guy is a little bit too good for what we're trying to do. Right <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so uh, Dobbs arrives with the Vikings on Tuesday. He does not practice at all with the first team because they have to get Jaron Hall up to speed because he's a rookie. So he doesn't take any snaps from center Garrett Bradbury. He doesn't throw to any of the receivers, including Jordan Addison, TJ Hawkinson, guys like that. On the second series of the Atlanta game, Jaron Hall drives the Vikings down the field, gets to the goal line, and then uh, gets tackled, and his head bounces like a basketball off the turf. He goes into the fencing position. He's done. He's he's out in the per- concussion protocol. He's probably not even going to be available this week, and you know he, maybe not even for a month, who's to say? So Dobbs has to come in. Dobbs does not know the playbook at all, like doesn't know the playbook at all. Head coach Kevin O'Connell deliberately has the Vikings offense go into no huddle mode so that he can maximize the time allotted on the headset radio to translate every play call that he's giving Josh Dobbs because Josh Dobbs doesn't understand it. So he has to translate it basically from French to English or, or so whatever. He like sends the play in and then he's like on a separate channel being like, this is an out pattern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, like, <laughs> that's, okay, that's you're gonna awesome. you're gonna look left, and then you're gonna throw it to you know you're gonna throw a flare out to to Hawkinson on the right, stuff like that. And at the beginning uh, of the game, it it's a fucking disaster, right? Uh, Dobbs gets tackled for a safety in the end zone. He fumbles once. He fumbles again. Uh, the Vikings defense, uh, because they're playing against such a 
poorly coached team on the other side. They managed to hold the Falcons to field goals all the way through that for an 11-3 score. And after that, eventually Dobbs starts to get going. He's able to start hitting his targets. He's able to start doing full progressions of his reads across the field. And he's able to use his legs, which Kirk, of course, could never do. So it was like, it was very un-Vikings-y to watch a Vikings game and have the quarterback be able to run, which which was nice. Uh, and Dobbs ran for a touchdown. And then in the very end, uh, when the Vikings defense was gassed, they had fallen behind uh, by four points because Atlanta drove the length of the field with a drive that was essentially entirely on the ground, all runs. And they just got run over because they were gassed. And they only had, uh, I I think they had less than two minutes left to go to drive the length of the field to score a touchdown to win. The odds of them doing that with Josh Dobbs at quarterback, even though he had adjusted and had Kevin O'Connell in his ear, were very, very, very low, right? But he gets them down the field and he throws an absolutely priceless uh, sideline pass to Jordan Asson, who catches it, who like extends to like seven feet tall to catch it right before a defender wallops him in the small of his back and shoves him out of bounds. And then on fourth and seven, he escapes one arm tackle and then another and then another to run for a first down and then extra. He gets, I think, 22 yards on it. And then in the end, he finds a crossing uh, Brandon Powell in the end zone to win the game outright. And it was really one of the best one of the most surprising quarterback performances I've ever seen, but also one of the best coaching performances I've ever seen. Like, it's the thing where I'm like, I'm willing to wear a In Kevin I Trust shirt now. Like, I'm I'm fully fucking in the tank for Kevin O'Connell. He can do no wrong by me. And I'm I'm watching the game at home, and my the only person, the only other people in the house at the moment are my son and his and his friend who's over on a play date, and they're both like 11, and they're in the basement. I'm upstairs, and I'm going, stop, 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 stop. And like, like I'm a really, really excited anti You were saying his name to the, the tune of LMFAO's shots? Yeah, yeah. I was like, I was fucking as f- excited and fired up and like overjoyed because in the beginning, in the beginning of the game, I was like, well, they're fucked. Like, and yeah. I think everyone... I think everyone except for the Vikings was like, they're fucked. And like Kevin O'Connell said in an interview, he's like, listen, I had to restrain myself uh, from from openly panicking, even though I was panicking in my head. Because if I panic, then everyone else panics and we all, and we all fucking die. Because that was a game that with the turnovers in the beginning, that almost like 99 times out of 100, if not, if not 999 times out of 1,000, that snowballs into a 28 to 3 lead. The game's over by halftime, right? And it didn't happen that way. And I think it was a demonstration of Dobbs just being sort of game for anything. And I'll, this is where I mentioned that he has an aeronautics degree and got a 4.0 while he was at Tennessee. That's wow. like mandatory shit now. But it was also it was also one of those things where I've always envied those coaches who, you know, they're like Belichick and they're like Mike Tomlin who – you just give them weeds and garbage, and they can somehow cobble together a competent team out of it. The Vikings didn't have Kirk. They didn't have Justin Jefferson. They haven't had him for four games. They didn't have left tackle Christian Derisaw, who is now playing at an all-pro level. Uh, they lost K.J. Osborne to a concussion in the middle of this game. Uh, they lost Cam Akers, their running back, to a torn Achilles, because torn Achilles are are having a moment. And, <laughs> and so they lost all these motherfuckers, and they also, they didn't have uh, their only other competent edge rusher, 
Marcus Davenport, he was on IR too. So they had nothing and they had no business winning this game, but they had such a good coach and Atlanta is so badly coached and I can't- Yeah, this is the other element of it. I cannot emphasize it enough. I'll take people behind the scenes here. So I was on vacation. I was not uh, watching these games and I was also not really keeping up on Slack, although I did get to watch- you know, because Drew was working on Sunday, so there was he was basically was, talking yeah. to talking to himself in somehow the football I channel. Somehow I didn't post about this game because I had already posted enough to get the rest of the day off. So I was like, "Well, not someone else's." Problem. I think this is one you should keep for yourself. Your Vikings experience fundamentally is like a private uh, thing for you, but it was exciting to see because, like, when I was going back and looking at the messages, it was you being like, "Dobbs, geez, ooh, I don't know, this isn't great," and then it was just. Crypt, the rest of it is just all in Crypt Keeper, like yee <laughs> voice, like the whole rest of the afternoon. You were just going off. I was, I, I am still on fucking on a fucking cloud. I was like, I am just a glow with the Josh Dobbs effect. It could all go to shit well, next week. Nice. They you play get New to like, enjoy home. the rest of the season a little bit. You know, like you didn't have to. I mean, I think for me, it's different. I, I did not see Daniel Jones's injury with the Giants. I had already sort of transitioned into energy saver mode on that. But this well, is yeah, like- yeah, that team is fucking toast. They're bad, right. But there's a thing that like as a fan you do where you sort of have to make like, I mean, for lack of a less high flown way of describing it, like sort of like a self-care choice where you're like, well, I'm not going to let these guys decide how I feel for another two months. Like I got a fucking life to live. I have things <laughs> I need to handle. Whereas, and now you just like got the Vikings back. It feels like, like however good or bad they might be. It's like, they started so bad. Then they were kind of good. Like at this point, you know, I think at the very least you've got an argument for watching them for the rest of the season. Like you were going to do that anyway, but it's like less perverse seeming. Well, now. it's all I, all I want too. Like I have, I have said this, I said this to Matthew Caller on his podcast, and I said that, I, you know, I did my homework, and I found that teams that tank have not won the Super Bowl since the the Troy Aikman Cowboys. Like, they haven't. They really haven't. And, like, you can say, okay, but the Bills tanked, you know, and, and got Josh Allen. Well, first of all, they drafted Josh Allen, like, number eight, okay, and— you know, they didn't, you know, and Josh Allen played like shit for a year or two before he finally became what he became. Yeah, yeah he was like unwittingly a part of the tank for longer than you, right. Right. And they are still not, you could argue that they are a worse team right now than they have been for the past couple of years. So I don't like the idea of tanking because I don't think it's effective. And the Vikings have a mandate not to tank. Their owners are like, no, we want to keep winning games because we want people to come. And I, I only have so many of these seasons left like i'm 47 years old like like I, I don't i let's don't not want, start no, no. talking about the no, 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 grim no. Like, death. like look no no i'm not gonna get all fucking morose about it and shit but it's like i have more seasons behind me than in front of me right and i don't want to sit there and endure like two three and 14 seasons in a row on the chance not the certainty that we're going to win a super bowl but just like a hypothetical better odds of us being able to get there. Like, I don't, I don't want that. Like, I'd rather fucking go, I'd rather have my team win more games than they lose, which my team has done over the course of my lifetime. And so they brought me more good memories than bad. And no one's going to believe that, right? Because everyone's going to be like Blair Walsh and everyone's going to be like, you know, 38-7 and all that shit. And yeah, all that shit sucked. But most of the time when I have watched the Vikings play, they have won. And sometimes, particularly in the past two years, they win in like the coolest fucking way ever. It's awesome and I love it.
So did your, did your son and his buddy come upstairs to like make sure you were doing okay? My son had to explain to his friend All right. why I was making the noises I was making. He's like, yeah, <laughs> Super. he's like That's that. That's great. So like all of that had to be, all that had to be explained and none of it, no one came up or, or anything like, and the dog didn't even bark. Like the dog is so used to it. He's like, whatever, go off, whatever, do whatever. Yeah. I faintly remember this from our first, the first time we traveled to do the podcast together back at the old website was hearing you down the hallway. And I think it was a game. The Vikings won. We were in Chicago, but oh, I could hear it was the tie. It was, it was a, a tie. tie. Yeah. But it was I could a fucking hear, epic tie though. But there was a sound. It It sounded like, like Muppets were having an unsanctioned boxing match in your, <laughs> your hotel room. But it was, I could hear it. And I was like, damn, that's, that's my podcast partner right there. <laughs> He's part of, yeah, it was a tie. So I, I do want to talk about the other side of it because Falcons coach, Arthur Smith, he got very pissy with Kurt Warner of all people, because Kurt Warner did a film breakdown. He does film breakdowns on YouTube. that are very good. They're, I, I would say Kurt Warner and J.T. O'Sullivan are the best people for, if you want to watch YouTube film breakdowns, and they're, and you, I swear to God, they're objectively interesting. You don't feel like a fucking loser watching Yeah, can things. I, I'll step in here as the comparatively more normal of the two football fans here. Uh, the J.T. O'Sullivan ones are fascinating. I like They them. are. I don't watch all of them, like, because they're, they are like the length of a feature film. Uh, they are. But they, <laughs> like, they're a rock solid 90 minutes at minimum. But yeah, like, when he breaks down, like, Justin Fields, everyone's like, oh, fuck, this is going to last longer than Ben Hur. And yeah. they do. Which is, like, definitely a type of, like, podcast or video response thing. He's really good. They're really lucid. It's not jargony. And he's, like, a pretty charismatic presence. I'd like, I would say, enjoy the videos before some team His hires voice him. Is- which his will happen. Is, yeah, his voice is so soothing. I actually, I, I, I want to have him on the podcast tonight. That'd I'm, be great. Yeah, I'm nervous as to when to ask, but I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work up the courage to be like, can you come on my podcast? We need to keep collecting NFL guys. As of now, Nate Jackson is our foremost uh, podcast guy. Yeah, and we, we, have to, get... we have to talk to him too. So I, I do, so back to Kurt oh, Warner. Oh yeah, Arthur because, Smith getting mad at Kurt Warner. Yeah, because Kurt Warner broke down film of the Falcons offense from the previous week and said, look, this is not, I don't know what these coaches are trying to do. The quarterback Desmond Ritter is inconsistent and not very good, which was true. It was all true. And Arthur Smith got extremely mad and pissy at Kurt Warner. And he was like, people are trying to, you know, people talking about me benching Desmond Ritter are just like toxic media people. And then before the Vikings game, he did bench Desmond Ritter for Taylor Heineke, who if you've ever watched Taylor Heineke play, you know that, like, first of all, he really likes to pump his fists and be like, "All right, yeah, he's amazing." And Did he do? He, I remember him doing that after getting a roughing the passer call. Yep, like basically after like getting hurt, like roughed. He was like, "Yes, I got thrown around so bad." Like he's incredible. Heineke's a great energy. Yeah, he is very fired the fuck up, and he airmails. I would say every third pass, so he's always yep. an interception waiting to happen. So. I'm watching this game and the Vikings like, are keeping it close. We've got Ryan Fitzpatrick at home. Is yeah. Basically and, the experience if anybody is curious about Like that. everyone watching the game and, you know, Vikings fans are not known for their confidence, right? But ev- even like, even Collar and even the people that, you know, that I follow on Twitter who follow the team are like, well, this guy's going to throw a pick like somewhere down the line. Sure as shit, he absolutely fucking did. And that was one. And then the Vikings scored a touchdown off of it. And that was it. So, I think it, I thought that was fascinating that Arthur Smith, who our own friend Spencer Hall keeps reiterating, is like a very nice guy, despite the fact that he's the son of a FedEx CEO who 
got his job through nepotism and all that stuff, that he's like really nice and that he's liked by his team, but he can't coach for dick. And that's worth noting. So what did he hit Kurt Warner with the, like, it's the man in the arena? Like, what was he saying about that? Because that's kind of, I feel like the thing with Kurt Warner that's, like, different than J.T. O'Sullivan is you can't be like, yeah, you couldn't hack it in the league. Like, Kurt Warner's a fucking Hall of Famer. Like, if he's going to tell you that you're doing a bad job, you should at least hear him out, probably. So what he said was, uh, someone asked, uh, you know, why... People were asking for Ritter's head, and he said, probably because of toxic groupthink. I think a lot of people don't watch the film. They think it's boring. So momentum, you see it all around the world. Things get spun out of control. Sounds smart if somebody says it. Maybe they know what they're talking about, and there it goes. It's a groupthink. But this is Kurt Warner he's talking about. This also, is like, he's breaking down the tape. Like, that's the video itself. You can't say he's not watching it. He's talking over it. Yeah, and you're going to do a cancel culture on, like, one of the most evangelical motherfuckers in America? Like, it's not going to really work. I'm sure as shit. Hollywood Kurt Warner. And then, you know, then he loses to a journeyman who doesn't know the fucking playbook yet. Right, like, sorry. (laughs) Like, I mean, I'd be mad, too. I would just like to think that I wouldn't be, uh, you know, trying to, as you said, (laughs) like, call Kurt Warner on the carpet for not knowing ball. Yeah. Uh, I do want to ask you about the Giants, although I want to ask you about the team that beat the shit out of them Mm. uh, first, because the Giants are very bad, and without, not only did they lose Daniel Jones to a torn ACL this week, they also didn't have Tyrod Taylor. He's on IR as well. So the only person they had to play a quarterback was legendary Tommy DeVito. Tommy DeVito over there. Hey, the bulls on this fucking prick. Tommy two times. Who is... Who is somehow less effective. got to go throw a pick, throw a pick. You know, if you want, well, uh, well, good fellas humor for everybody. Yeah, if you want a, a quarterback in New York who is somehow less effective than Zach Wilson, here you go. It's Tommy He's, DeVito. I think the thing with Tommy DeVito is that he is, so he is less effective than Zach Wilson. I'm not going to sit here he and is. tell you that he is as effective as Zach Wilson. He's not. But he is the fun, well, more fun version of being more ineffective than Zach Wilson. Like, Zach Wilson was, like, a very high pick in the draft, and some people yes. evidently believed that he was the future of quarterbacking or I whatever. did. I even, thought he was... I saw me at BYU. I was like, oh, that guy's going to be good. I even though he looked wrong. like Cobra Kai student number three. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's just not a very <laughs> compelling presence. Uh, DeVito's limitations are extremely obvious, uh, but he can run around a little bit, and as with Taylor Heineke, uh, can't like really throw the ball very far or very accurately, but no, I'm so I'm going to make the self care choice. I think that I'll watch a little bit of the giants. And then when it starts making me feel bad, I am going to take a walk. We've already lost an hour of daylight. I can't get that back for another little bit. Like I have to be smart and save my bullets mentally in terms of, you know, just this team and the Sundays that I've got ahead. It's tough though. Like when you get down, I think you can sort of, talk yourself into watching a team with its, you know, backup quarterback, even if they're not going anywhere. Cause you're like, all right, you know, it depends on the backup quarterback. The giants are at that level. Now this is like when, um, when they had Mike Glennon under center at the very end of the Joe judge years where like the coaches know that the guy can't really do it. And right. they're, and it's not Tommy DeVito's fault. Like Tommy DeVito is not supposed to be playing. Tommy DeVito is supposed to be like the scout team version of Jalen hurts in practice. Also, may I you know? say that he looks 
extremely like a Tommy DeVito, and I, th- yeah. I find that so gratifying. As someone who grew up around uh, a number of Tommy's DeVito uh, in spirit, he does have that energy. He, there's a photo of him wearing a chain that's got TD on it. Yeah, that which, it has, he has a chain. It's just so perfect. I'm so happy that yeah, he has a chain. I, so, yeah, I mean, he's got... He's got everything that you would want as a Giants fan in an upstart guy that's going to quarterback your team for two months, except for the football abilities, which yeah. he does not really have. That is a bit but un- that is a bit That's okay. It's just tough because the Giants, they didn't leave themselves much of a margin for error. Like It's been frustrating all year to see, and I'm not going to belabor the Mets comparison, but it's very much the same sort of thing where they like, they looked at last year's team and they were like, well, we just got to move some pieces around on the chessboard. And if everybody plays exactly as well as they did last year, we're going to be good again. And the problem with that is that if you don't build in some sort of cushion there and suddenly, uh, Saquon Barkley is under four yards of carry again, and Daniel Jones is hurt again, your team is bad. Like, because you didn't try to get better in other areas. They did with Darren Waller, and they got the Darren Waller experience. He was cool for a few games, and now he's hurt. He's on IR, right? Yeah, and it's right. And so that's, you know, like, I I don't know that you can say, this was something I was thinking about when you were talking about, uh, you know, how (laughs) you and I are both um, leaning into the icy embrace of the grave uh, moment by moment, that the... The feeling of a season being like a waste to me, like I've watched seasons where like things didn't work out or whatever. I, a lot of them in a lot across a lot of different sports. It's more frustrating when you're sort of like, all right, well, if we could just hit like the simulate rest of season button, that would be preferable. <laughs> like that's not a great feeling. And that is the the one thing where like I could watch a bad team try its ass off and like do the most that they could with what they have, especially in the NFL. I have a great admiration for teams like that. Like, this is why I think I have been such a devoted Ryan Fitzpatrick partisan, like throughout his career and sort of remain one. Sure. He, and you know, Heineke as much of a jamoke as he is, is also like that. He's that type of guy. Like he's like, if he's your backup, then there's definitely a chance you think he's better than the guy that he's backing up on week one. He, well, I mean, he, he, he's still very well, maybe in Atlanta. He's definitely better than Desmond Ritter. That doesn't mean that he's like your future option there, but it's, I mean, that was the case with the Durs last year too. He's like solid enough. Yeah. I mean, he was backing up Carson Wentz last year. Right. But that's exactly. And so Fitzpatrick used to have that too, where teams would bring him in and it would be like, just hiring him, you know, like throwing the one year guarantee at him to be your backup. If you're the starter, it's basically the team telling you that they're like, you should like start eating right and exercise more. Yeah. Like, we, we clearly have some doubts yeah. about your capacity to do this. Because he backed up some real slobs. I mean, he backed up Jameis Winston and it was like, yep. you knew it was over for Jameis. And you could tell, I mean, I remember that, particularly that experience, because he, he backed up Winston. He did the Fitzpatrick thing. It was like a couple of good wins, a couple of backbreaking picks. But the team clearly loved playing with him in a way that like, that's the thing is that he was like normal as backup quarterbacks go, you know, like charismatic as backup quarterbacks go. And he was backing up the eat this W guy. So it's like one way or another, it's going to like, that comes out the way that you think it's going to come out. So, but yeah, what I was saying with this is that like, if the, so Tyrod Taylor could have been that experience for me. Like I was ready to talk myself into that. And like, 
Sure. It, we know what his limitations are. He's a super conservative quarterback. Like you, I remember you like describing a Tyrod Taylor stat line where you're like, it's like 200 yards passing one, like one touchdown or no touchdowns, no interceptions and 25 yards rushing. And that's right. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, I was ready for that. I was like, sure, fuck me up. I'll take three months of that. Yeah, that's sort of like that sort of like Mariota like efficiency where you're not going to make any mistakes, but you're not going to do anything. Right. Either. Yeah. But it is uh, like that is like literally replacement level in action. But uh, Tommy DeVito is not is not that. So I don't know if you if you see me walking around my neighborhood on a Sunday afternoon, just say hi. That's uh, <laughs> that's what I'm doing instead of watching the Giants. Because Giants fucked themselves because they were saddled with Daniel Jones, who was not picked by the current regime, and had like an obvious ceiling to him. And he took him to the playoffs last year, despite the fact that they had a negative point differential. And they won a playoff game against my team, uh, who, which was similarly, you know, they also had a negative point differential. So it was two essential frauds going against one another. And the Vikings did not extend Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins is currently a lame duck. And the Giants did extend Jones to the tune of $40 million a year that they have to pay next year, even, the fa- even though he tore his ACL. And so it's very funny because I wrote something very nice about Is Kirk it? Cousins last week. Are you sure, are you sure that it's funny, though? Uh, well, it's funny to me. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, so I wrote something very nice about Kirk last week because he torn his Achilles. The team was utterly devastated by it. They, these teammates clearly love him, and not just like the white teammates, like the other ones do. Too. <laughs> All right, and so, and the coach. A lot of guys would. A lot of guys would have euphemized that distinction. I'm really. I respect that you didn't. Yeah, and so, and the, uh, and the, and the coaching staff and McQuazy, they were all like, well, you know, like we, you know, we we appreciate so much what he does for this team. You know, we, you know, and they were more open about the idea of bringing him back uh, than they had been in the preseason. The preseason, they were like, they were not going to talk about it. In the rest of the season, they were not going to talk <laughs> about it. With the understanding that that he was probably going to ask for too much money in the offseason and they weren't going to pay it because he's too expensive. And, uh, you know, when when he got hurt, uh, particularly the way he was playing because he was playing his fucking ass off, I was like, okay, I can kind of see... Maybe you bring him back for a year or something like that. And then the Dobbs thing happened, and I, I watched the breakdown from O'Sullivan, and I was like, oh, we don't need Kirk. Like, I feel, <laughs> I feel fucking great. Like, leave Kirk on the fucking don't – even, don't even let them operate on Kirk's heel. Just leave him out on the fucking street. <laughs> with, a, with a, like, still works question mark sign tape to him, you're like, we've moved on. This is Josh Dobbs' team now. We have to take a break. We have more uh, NFL to talk about, and we have to talk about the legendary – Connor Stallings, because we have not done that yet. But before I uh, bring us into the break, I just want to know that this week's episode is brought to you by Jersey Eddie's Greek Restaurant and Izakaya Gastropub. In the mood for a gyro, but your wife wants a five-course omakase sushi dinner instead? Why not head to the restaurant that offers both? And for only $7.99 each, that's Jersey Eddie's, located in the Paramus Food Court. We'll be right back. Malacca. Very good. Hey, it's Drew. This week, we're sponsored by Blue Land, manufacturer of eco-friendly cleaning products. The holidays can create even more waste than usual. Each year, Americans throw away 25% more trash from Thanksgiving to New Year's. Luckily, Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and for the planet. Their idea is simple. 
They offer endlessly refillable cleaning products with a beautiful, cohesive design that looks great on your counter. Just fill your bottles with water, drop in the tablets, and wait for them to dissolve. From cleaning sprays to hand soap, toilet bowl cleaner, and laundry tablets, all Blue Land products are made with clean ingredients that you can feel good about. And right now, you can try Blue Land's new limited edition hand soap kit with scents inspired by the national parks. I actually have used Blue Land's laundry detergent, their hand soap, and their dishwashing detergent, and they're not only very nice smelling and not only do they work but they uh, are also very good to my wife who has many many allergies and has to be very picky about the products that she uses so she is happy with the blue land cleaning products and so therefore i am as well and blue land has a special offer for listeners right now you can get 15 percent off your first order by going to blueland.com slash distraction you won't want to miss this it's blueland.com slash distraction for 15 percent off one more time that's blueland.com slash distraction to get 15 percent off If you want to hear, where did you get that this holiday season, Uncommon Goods is your secret weapon. Uncommon Goods is here to make your holiday shopping stress-free by scouring the globe for the most remarkable and truly unique gifts for everyone on your list. Whether you're shopping for your secret Santa or your entire family, who you presumably know, Uncommon Goods knows exactly what they want. I was encouraged by our friends at Multitude to look up just MLB ballpark map as a thing. There are lowball glasses, pint glasses, thermoses, actual like cool framed schematics of different ballparks. It is all up and down the price spectrum, a wide array of things for a wide array of tastes, which is the most that you could want from a site where you might find gifts. Here's another thing you might want in that scenario. When you shop at Uncommon Goods, you're supporting artists and small independent businesses. Uncommon Goods looks for products that are high quality, unique, and often handmade or made in the United States. They have the most meaningful, out-of-the-ordinary gifts anywhere, from art and jewelry to kitchen, home, and bar stuff. Uncommon Goods has something for everyone. Not the same lackluster gifts you could find just anywhere. And with every purchase you make at Uncommon Goods, they give a dollar back to a nonprofit partner of your choice. They've donated more than $2.5 million to date that way. To get 15% off your next gift, go to uncommongoods.com slash distraction. That's uncommongoods.com slash distraction for 15% off. Don't miss out on this limited time offer from Uncommon Goods. We're all out of the ordinary. And we're back. We're going to talk a little bit more about the NFL. We're going to talk about teams that we don't root for. But uh, first, I want to talk about the man, the myth, the legend himself, Connor Stallions Roth. Are you oh. up to speed on the Connor Stallions saga? It is so, it's, it, it doesn't end. It's so good. I love it. So I it. believe I'm up to speed on it, but I also, uh, you know, as a devoted reader of Defector.com, I have gotten a lot of my coverage in the form of the Tom Lay blogs that are written in basically the voice of the Slow Horses books and TV series. So there's, like, you have to, like, you read those posts and they're basically, like, you have to imagine Gary Oldman being like, Stallions had surfaced again. With, like, it's all very uh, dense and involuted. I know that there's a lot of uh, cloak and dagger shit. I know that he was sneaking around maybe on the Central Michigan sidelines, maybe not. Yes, that I think is... Kind of what that's the sort of the juice part. Wait, I, I'm sorry, you go ahead. But he is a an amazing character in the sense that he just seems like a deranged 
a message board goon who somehow like willed himself into the narrative in exactly the way that a deranged message board goon would of the football team that he cares about the most. And he might like, I don't think it's weird to postulate that Michigan could win the national championship this year. They're extremely good. They're legit. They're really good. So this guy who is, you don't want to say he's a delusional psychopath. I haven't met him, but he's this maniac, like might actually wind up fucking the story on his favorite team's national championship season just by being himself. That's right. So Stallions, who I should note, did not go to Michigan. He is a graduate of the Naval Academy, but he was so obsessed with UMich football that he ingratiated himself into the program. He got hired as a a low-level staffer in some capacity. And like Roth said, he— Has it ever been clarified what his actual role was? No, because an ESPN report said that even though he had uh, a title of, you know, whatever— a quality control assistance assistant or whatever. Mm-hmm. His his only job was to uh, be an illegal videographer and sign sealer for uh, the Wolverines. So he would uh, go, he got tickets to opposing Big Ten teams and other teams that were in the top 25. He would videotape uh, their sidelines using his phone uh, and he would buy the tickets in his own name, by the way. And then he would uh, <laughs> put all the videos on his laptop. He would share it with uh, other Michigan coaches. The NCAA seized that laptop. They're going through it. The FBI is involved somehow. We love it. Every other Big Ten coach is like, this is cheating. We don't stand for it. And and then it was last week, there was a photograph that surfaced of Stallions on the central Michigan sideline like sort of in like the Bobby Valentine incognito disguise. Yeah, so has it been like pinned down whether that was him or whether that was just some guy that looks like someone that would be on the Central Michigan University football sidelines? No, no one has confirmed it either way yet. But the weird thing was after the game, Central Michigan coach and Florida, uh, former Florida coach Jim McElwain was asked about it in the press conference. And McElwain has ties to Jim Harbaugh. And he was, I, you know, if... If Connor Stall- if that had not been Connor Stallions, I think any other coach would have been like, oh yeah, it's our special teams coach, Bob. Like, that's not him, right? That isn't what Jim McElwain did. He was like, he's like, we, we've heard about the accusations that someone was on our sideline who wasn't supposed to be there. We take this very seriously. And like, he was very stone-faced about it in a way where you were like, oh my God, it was Connor Stallions. Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> and then- uh, this week, uh, the plot thickened again because there was a report from the Associated Press that said a former employee at a Big Ten football program, which may be called Stohio Mate. Uh, Could have been anybody. Yeah. Their job was to spy on Michigan the same way Stallions was alleged to have spied on the Wolverines. And the game this person, is afoot. I'm quoting Tom Lay now uh, from Defector. He says, this person claims to have evidence proving that other Big Ten teams colluded, colluded to steal Michigan's signs. So it's like, oh, you steal steal our signs? We're all going to do that to you. We're going to get our own stallions. And his name's going to be Clay Sneed. Right, right. Right? And and so now we have this weird- Bryce Clydesdale. Yeah, we have have this- (laughs) 
<laughs> we have this weird, he said, he said, he said, he said, he said thing going on with Connor Stallions and Jim Harbaugh, who says he has had nothing to do with it, even though he totally had something to do with it. And and then all these other unnamed Big Ten sources who have every motive in the world to shit on Michigan. And then Michigan, who has every, you know, all the motive in the world to say, well, actually, we found this other guy who was stealing on us. Right. So it's every— Also, so you're just jealous of how good our research facility is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's so This is what this is what makes this such a good football story to me is the combination of first of all Michigan my sister went there like I I guess if I have a college football rooting interest it's Michigan they are delectable villains because they are incredibly smug they always have been yes. um, and they're very self-important so there's you know it, it as character development goes it works I the I other grew part up a Michigan fan and they they are very very lucky Notre Dame exists. Yes. Because they, they are, they're like secular Notre Dame. They're yes. like, like sort of, I guess you almost want to say liberal Notre Dame, but I don't think that that's, that is giving them too much credit. What is funny about this to me though, and this is like these developments have especially, uh, you know, made me happy is that it's all idiots. It's all, <laughs> it's every single person that is involved in this story is a dumbass yep. who can't think 15 minutes ahead of where they are. Nope. But they're all, it, in the same way that like, like Congress is not unlike this, but it's depressing when Congress does it. Whereas when it's football guys being like, it is disappointing, if hardly surprising, to see that somebody was looking at the University of Indiana's football stats and trying to figure out, you know, our methods and sources. But it's like all these guys, it's just... It's stupid people. It is talk radio callers having an argument by proxy over the course of several weeks. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't Great it, shit. It, Can't it beat ended. it. And Michigan, Michigan's culture, it's it's not just the football team, it's the fans yep. who all, you know, if they don't say it outright, the implication is, well, we hold ourselves to a higher standard. Yep. Than other this is schools where do. I would recommend. We had him on the podcast to talk about the book, and I hadn't read it yet. Ben Mathis Lilly's book about yes. Michigan. He's a Michigan fan. Great fun. I read it for the reading series thing I do with Patrick Sauer, and I enjoyed it. But it is the perfect distillation, and you know, I think Ben would happily own up to this of what you were just describing. It is the sort of thing where they're they're very very serious about like. Not, you know, like in a smug way necessarily, but they're like, yeah, like Michigan football matters, you know, like it means a lot. <laughs> right. And then also at the other side of the coin is that they are just out of their fucking minds and their eyes are rotating in opposite directions all football season long. And so they're th that combination of being like people that have real jobs and like know how to read. Like it's not like Clemson fans being like, I'll pray for you or whatever, like just dummy shit. Right. Yeah. But they're exactly as irrational as Clemson fans or as any other fan. So watching them try to like reconcile all of that is like a fun little under tension in the story. Yeah, they they're lacking the hillbilly camp that makes, you know, right. Basically every SEC fan amusing, you know, Paul sort of way, yep. you know. So I I agree. Let's uh let's go back to the NFL for a moment because while we're talking about stupid people. Josh McDaniels. Um <laughs> Your team lost to the Raiders, and not only did they lose, they got who lost to the Raiders. Drew they they got destroyed by the Raiders, and there was a very good reason they who got destroyed. Who are we talking? I'm sorry, I wasn't paying attention. I was on vacation. 
Yeah, okay. Well, it was I the Giants. All right, I know they lost to them. They, they got crushed. By the way, the Giants have won Super Bowls, so like, you know. I yeah, I know, I know. All right. T- world's tiniest violin. Yes, we're both you. very happy. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> so McDaniels uh, was fired prior to that game on Tuesday in the middle of the night, like 1 a.m. Eastern. Mark Davis by, hours. By Mark Davis. He fired Josh McDaniels. He fired the OC. He fired the GM, uh, Dave Ziegler. And the ESPN report was that uh, will cost him $85 million. Like, it was very soberly reported by Adam Schefter. Like, like Mark Davis cares so much about winning. This is how much he's willing to spend to get rid of, get rid of the shithead that he hired. <laughs> so McDaniels, first of all, when they fire him, all the beat reporters are reporting, oh, my God, like, this is the happiest locker room I've ever been in. Like, people were, like, guys were, like, popping champagne and, like, high-fiving one another. I remember another. seeing the phrase, literally seeing the phrase, celebratory cigar. Yes, yeah. <laughs> the story about shit. it. So. And the guy who replaced him is former linebacker Antonio Pierce. And Antonio Giants Pierce legend. was actually in the center of a Jay Glazer report on McDaniels because after McDaniels was fired, all the fun stories about him being an officious prick come out. And the best one came from Jay Glazer, who said uh, there was a meeting uh, on, it would have been, last, last Thursday, two two weeks ago on Thursday. Um, and they had a big airing of the grievances and the players all just unloaded on Josh McDaniels. They just were like, fuck you, you suck. Hate your haircut. Start wearing normal hats. And Josh McDaniels, Josh McDaniels wasn't the one who rebutted them. He had an Antonio Pierce get up instead to speak on his behalf, which is fucking weird, all right? That's leadership. And Antonio Pierce gets up there and he was on the Giants team that, beat the Patriots in the 2007 Super Bowl. He They beat the 18-0 Patriots, right? So he said to the guys, he's like, listen, you know, on that team, you know, we knew we could beat anybody. We just had to believe it. And we that's not us right now. We have to believe we can beat anybody. And that way we can beat the likes of the Patriots or whoever. So he gives the speech and the speech goes over well. And then McDaniels takes him aside and he says... And this is the quote, this is the money quote. Don't ever talk about the Patriots like that. That's right. <laughs> he wasn't even working for the it's fucking a, Patriots it's anymore. so good. It's just as a reflection of what Josh McDaniel's priorities are. Like, it's like if he hears you talking about how, like, Tom Brady advertised FTX shit, he'd be like, all right, first of all, Tom's a friend. Second of all, like, you don't know what Sam Bankman-Fried did or didn't do. Like, he is so far up his own ass of, like, the Belichick legacy trip that, I I don't know. That story, that was one that you did as part of your Sunday blogging spree. And, like, the whole post is, like, 60 words by you and a 180-word quote from the Jay Glazer thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Glazer's the one who got the goods. But it was a totally satisfying post to read because it is like in every failed coaching scenario when the coaches finally let go there are stories like this that come out i remember one uh when matt williams was fired by the giants that there was a big washington post story that involved jason worth saying to matt williams's face during a team meeting when do you think it was that you lost this clubhouse which is like really nasty that is hard but mcdaniels was always going to be this was like the reason i don't have a rooting interest for the raiders one way or the other like i want my friend ed who has season tickets there to be happy but i'm like there's not a team that i care about very much 
But I always knew that when McDaniels got fired, that there would be just some giant cresting CGI day after tomorrow tidal wave of this shit coming down. And I was so ready for it. And it has delivered so far. Like, And I feel like we're still in the early stages of the, the Josh McDaniels recrimination cycle now. Yeah, I'm excited for more of it. And for his part, Pierce, I heard his speech after the game. They beat the shit out of the Giants 30 to 6. It's not important what the score was. His speech afterward, like like it wasn't his speech, but he was talking to the press. I was like, this guy, this guy has a brain in his head. This guy would fucking run through a wall for this guy. And it reminded me of when Mark Davis fired John Gruden and hired special teams coach Rich Basaccia to take over. And all Basaccia did was like win a lot of games and get them to the playoffs and nearly beat the eventual yeah, AFC they champion. Yeah, won in the fucking playoffs. Like, yeah, like that they was a beat the Bengals in Cincy. Yeah, and Mark still let him walk and hired McDaniel's instead. So I'm like, how's he going to fuck over Antonio Pierce when this season is over? Because that's what's out. so weird about this is like. This is, a, you know, it's a thing that happens to teams, to sort of poorly run teams more often than other teams. But it happens all over the place. What's crazy is that, like, as you said, the Bisaccia thing, that was like two years ago. Like, this wasn't even a long time ago. Like, no, I remember didn't when last that happened. two seasons. He yeah. didn't last a season and a half. And he didn't last two full seasons in Denver. He was the exact same shitty, incompetent asshole. It's remarkable. Yeah. Can I say a brief word for Nate Jackson's? post on our site about McDaniels. Yes, that's former Broncos tight end and current Denver radio host, Nate Jackson, yes. So he absolutely gave him both barrels. It is a, like, as hard a takedown as I've read. It also, though, to me, I, so again, you know, read it on vacation, like, on my phone while we were waiting to get tickets for a tram that would take us up a mountain. Like, I was, like, trying to, you know, focus on being on vacation, but I was very excited to read it. I feel like every person deserves the right to write something like that about a shitty boss when that boss they uh, do, and it only fired. happens when it's when it's someone like McDaniel's who has burned every bridge that there's no danger, right, in shitting on them. Where it's like, look, I can say like Nate Jackson, what recriminations are going to be if he takes a shit? Right, on like Josh Nate's McDaniels. like better at his job than Josh McDaniel's is. Like he's not going to get fired from the radio job he's good at no. because he pointed out that Josh McDaniel's is a butthead, which everybody knows. But the he is styling on him, and there's a lot of like sort of incidental Josh McDaniel's asshole behavior in it. Like, highly recommend the post, even if you don't care about football. If you just worked for like an officious shithead at a GameStop when you were 17, like this blog is about that guy. Speaking of officious shitheads, Bill Belichick. Let's. Yes. Uh, we, I have one more story to t to uh, relay to you because um, the Patriots are having their worst season since Belichick's first year in New England. That was that was 2000. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say, um, I was in college when that happened. Just After they lost to a tanky commander's outfit this past weekend, the commanders traded away Montez Sweat. They traded away Chase Young. They gutted really the only good unit on their team, and they didn't, they didn't care because they're probably going to fire Ron Rivera. He's probably next, and, and they got to find a new quarterback and all that shit. And they have new ownership and whatever. So the commanders are not really all that invested in this season. They still beat the Patriots anyway. And after losing to the Commanders, their quarterback, Mac Jones, who's had the worst season you could outside of Zach Wilson and outside of Tommy DeVito. Yeah. He said he was at the press conference and Chad Graff of The Athletic, he said, 
It was noted by the press to Mac Jones that other quarterbacks seem to have more open windows to throw to, either because of the scheme or because they have better wideouts. And while Jones didn't throw anyone under the bus, he did note, quote, that's a good point. And later, quote, that's a good question. And you can just tell <laughs> how much Mac Jones absolutely fucking hates every single coach he has to work for in that in that town. It's it is such a collection of like the Bill Belichick suicide squad there too at this point that like with the exception of Bill O'Brien who's like not anybody's idea of the dude you want hired but is like a guy yeah. that will continue to get jobs as an NFL coach the whole rest of that group is guys that are basically like Belichick's personal posse like just being like great great point boss like real dorks who are clearly uh loathed by everyone that works for them yeah, I mean, they are, I mean, I'm, Belichick's coaching tree proves this, that he he's a one-man band there, right? Like, he he coordinates the defense. He, uh, uh, you know, to a certain extent, coordinates the offense, although when he outsources it to guys like Joe Judge and Matt Patricia, that doesn't go terribly well. But he is essentially the, he is so much the brains of the operation that anybody else who leaves him essentially has to pretend that they've gleaned some working knowledge of how to run a team from him when they know Dick and all they can right. do is just sort of toil under him. And I think this is a good point that Nate makes in his post too. The thing that they all seem to take from him, possible exception being Brian Flores, who's like a hard ass, but does seem to like, he's a good coordinator at least. He is a really fucking good coordinator. I tell you. But the other guys, it's like, and Nate Jackson made this point about Mangini, who he played for for one week in, uh, in Cleveland, that like the the thing that they carry away from the Belichick experience is you must be a cock to everyone at all times. Like you have to make everyone that works for you hate you and feel unvalued. And that is like obviously Belichick is good at other shit. That is like sort of the I always thought of it anyway as that's the price you pay for all of the the brilliant stuff that he does. Right. But it is weird that all of these crab apples falling off his tree somehow have no nutritional value beyond how sour they are. Right. They don't take any of the like actual lessons beyond the high-handedness. Yeah, you have to have the strategic brilliance that Belichick had, and and he had it. I'm not going to do the oh he owes it all to Tom Brady like he liked it like that's that's bullshit. It's no, it is stupid. It, it doesn't have to be one or the other. Um, but you know you you can you're only entitled and you're not entitled to be a dick. No one's ever entitled to be a dick. But you are only, uh, you know, people only surreptitiously excuse you of that if they know that you know what the fuck you're talking about. And when you provably don't, yeah. And McDaniel's didn't in either of his head coaching stops. Matt Patricia didn't. Most of these coordinators didn't. It it becomes transparent right away, and they lose any any morale that they had that they they probably hadn't even built in the first place so it makes me wonder how opaque the experience of like belichick actually is for these guys because it does seem like the sort of thing where if he's not explaining his decisions to the guys that are notionally his coordinators because they are his decisions as you said i mean that that yeah. is like it's all his shit but if all they're getting is the affect and not any of the inner workings of like why he's making these good calls then to me that's also bad leadership. I mean, it's like a different sort of thing, but you're not creating anything. This is, I guess, pretty much fits Belichick's personality because he does seem kind of like a jealous guy in this sense. He's not creating an infrastructure for 
a successor or for even like just if he's not there, nothing is going to work because he's not like letting on to any of the people under him how he comes to the conclusions that he comes to. So all they seem to be picking up on, and maybe this is a failure on their part, maybe it's a failure on his, I don't know. All they're getting is the the fucked up sweatshirt and the shitty look on his face. You know, yeah. that everything that sort of undergirds that or justifies it is completely um, invisible. And it's, you know, I, I wrote something to the effect, but he is, he is essentially this year suffering from the same fate as his assistants, where he has created, uh, you know, an atmosphere in New England that is not only unpleasant and, you know, devoid of morale, but has no, there's, there's no competence underlying it. Like he has made really stupid mistakes and he has managed that team extremely poorly, not just this year, but last year, but this year it's, it's really truly all fallen apart. Yeah. Um, I don't think they're as bad. Like, I think that it's possible for me to imagine him coaching another winning team there. And it has a lot of the same guys that are on this roster on it, mm. but it is also a very Christian Gonzalez, uh, who they drafted and who is hurt. Yes. Is super good. Yes, he is. And, and so, so like, is Matthew like, Juden, who's Judon, who's also hurt. They're yeah. both really good. So that's like more than a lot of teams with their record could say for themselves. But yes, like they're going to need new offensive personnel everywhere. And Belichick's their GM too. So, you know, he's just going to go out and sign more guys that played lacrosse at Navy because that's what he cares about. And I don't think, that. I don't think he's going to be their, their coach for much, much longer. I really, really? don't. And I don't. I don't say that as wishful thinking. I think it's, Doesn't you know, he want as, some as, win record. Like he wants to pass. He, he does, wants- but he's seventy-one, and I am. I think I'm skeptical that. I, although I will say, and I've I think we've mentioned this before, but because David Tepper exists, uh, <laughs> even though Dan Snyder's out of the league, there is a chance that someone hires him on name value alone, right? Yeah. But I. I am skeptical, particularly given the success of younger coaches such as Sean McVay, uh, that another team might be willing to to do that depending on the price. I, I can easily see Belichick instead becoming the coach at Navy and having John Feinstein write some shitty book about him or something. Oh, yeah. Like that. When integrity matters. Uh, let's open up the fun bag. These are real questions Yay. from defector readers and distraction listeners. We only have time for one. Uh, this is from Smitha. There's two parts to Smitha's because one is a nice little thing, a nice little story that I'll end uh, I'll end the podcast with. But the other one is a, a fun back question. And Smitha writes in, she says, I have heard I want it that way by the Backstreet Boys. Every single year it came out. In every country I have visited, from every generation of listener, I have heard it as a ringtone, I have heard it at karaoke, I even heard it performed by a chamber orchestra as a bride entered a wedding. Wow. <laughs> and for whatever reason it is both ubiquitous and everlasting, my question is, I want it that way, the song that the most number of people in the world know the lyrics to. That is her question. Her only other candidate is the Friends theme song. <laughs> oh, for the record, let's let's go ahead and strike, like, Happy Birthday and, like, the national anthem from consideration here. Let's By go with the, pop. The Radiohead song, national anthem. Yo, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everybody yeah. knows when those horns start coming in. Everybody all knows the, the baseline. Yeah. There's going to be trombones in a little bit. That's one of those Radiohead songs that, like, it's the first song I, it's, it's it one of their like. songs where I heard it the first time on CD 
And I was like, oh my God, this is like one of the most depressing songs I ever heard. And then I saw him perform it in concert and I was like ready to run through a wall. I was like, dude, I'm fucking fired yeah. up. Ah, yep. such a it somehow became awesome like Fleetwood Mac's Tusk when performed live. It is. That's a, cool. It is such I, a bitching song. It's so So cool. Smith's question is a good one. Um, before I answer it, uh, I feel bad for the younger generation that does not get the experience of listening to a Radiohead CD and being like, damn, that's the most depressing song I ever heard. I had that experience three different times on three different albums, and I loved it every Good single time. You. you all deserve it. Uh, it. So I would love to come up with another song, but I think that this is a pretty fucking good call. Like for this type of of song, like, like you know, maximum ubiquity plus uh, people actually kind of enjoy it. Because there are a lot of songs that, you know, like, I think with all due respect to Britney Spears and her apparently wonderful memoir, I don't think like baby one more time is like when you hear it in a retail setting, you're not like, hell yeah, necessarily. I'm not anyway. Whereas like, careful, I that they, way, careful that her hive might hear that. Yeah. I'm not ready to, uh, this is Luis Paez Pumar isn't going to like, he's like going to personally thing. cancel me with a <laughs> huge <laughs> plank of wood uh, to the dome. But I think that this one, like, as much of a sort of machine tooled studio product as I want it that way is like, it's great. You know, like you can't, you can't really deny it. And it's a terrific song. The idea of there being like a chamber music arrangement suitable for weddings is like, yeah, it, it kind of does deserve that. Like, I don't know that I could come up with something off the top of my head that, uh, would compete. Do you have one that you can think of? Yeah. I mean, I have a few obvious ones. Uh, the first one is Despacito. Uh, the other one's Gangnam Style. Like anything that essentially became ubiquitous, not just on radio, but like in advertisements, in television shows, in film. I had a, a version of this question once in the fun bag, and my answer was All Star. And oh, I still. RIP Steve Harwell. Yeah, because it's, first of all, it's a good song. I thought it was a perfectly good song. Yeah, that's right. right. But, and it's in, it's in Shrek, a movie everybody saw. It's in every advertisement. And, you know, if all you have to do is say, all you have to do is sing one word. All you have to do is sing somebody and everybody knows. Everybody knows instantly what song you're talking about. So I think there I are say many. That I, don't, I don't have the same response. When I hear that like boom, bomp, boom, bomp, bomp from the beginning <laughs> of that song, I'm not like, cool, the next three minutes are going to rock. Like there is a, it just feels like, you should be watching like a Nissan drive along a mountain road while you're getting quoted in MSRP. Chances are you are watching a Nissan. Yes, like, I was going to say like, and Brie Larson's like looking determinedly at the camera. Like, yep. Like I'm liberal, but I'm driving a pickup truck right now. Do you need to be doing this work, Brie Larson? Yeah, that is. Uh, I almost did my second straight Jiminy Glick voice there. That's the. Uh, That's jet you know what talking. But yeah, I think um, either way, I'm I'm always happy to have the opportunity to think about uh, I want it that way. And if it's not that, um, I hope it's that over uh, Smash Mouth's All Star. But yeah, I, nice to think about both. I, I think also we're 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 not we're sort of discounting a lot of dad rocks that like yesterday or immigrant song or something like that. So yeah, we oh do yeah, if to- you hear the the. Um, beginning robert plant wailing i feel like that's a that's the international language but do you know the 
But do you know the lyrics? I, I mean, I don't, I don't know the goddamn lyrics. I just know, come on, the essence. Like, I don't, yeah. Yeah, those are, so with Led Zeppelin lyrics, it's basically like, you kind of know them and you kind of don't want to know them. Like, that one's got a little bit of a sort of like white supremacist fever dream aspect. And then all the rest of them are just like the plot of Lord of the Rings. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Which I would say I was enjoy that they did that, but uh, we're we're bumping up on time, so I do want to add Smith's postscript. Uh, she writes, "I went on a first date over several years ago, and within ten minutes, the guy asked me if I read the Jamboree and or listened to the Deadcast. <laughs> I guess it Don't was his that. way of weeding out anyone who wouldn't tolerate his various sports addictions." Fast forward to now, and we're married with a five month old. What I'm saying is, we're back, we're back, is a forger of love connections. So, congratulations to Smitha, her husband, who I hope is of sound mind, and their five month old. That yeah. is a lovely story. Mazel Tov, don't do that on a date. Yeah, don't do that on a date. Yeah, <laughs> that you are not. Smitha's husband was very fortunate that worked out the way it yeah, did. Because chances yeah. are, that's not going to happen. That's <laughs> oh my God, yes. That's like if Josh Dobbs took the field without Kevin O'Connell in his ear. Eric Silver is our producer. Brandon <laughs> Grugel is our editor. Our theme song is by Kirk Hamilton. Ads and production services are by Multitude. And you can subscribe to Defector.com. Right now. Just go to Defector and hit that subscribe button. You can also email us at distraction at Defector.com or even call us at 909-726-3720 and leave a message. That's 909-PANERA-0. We'll see you guys next week. Goodbye, Roth. Bye.